Welcome to the Upbeat Podcast, powered by CoachArt, a show that's dedicated to providing resources for families impacted by childhood chronic illness. For articles, videos, and show notes, visit our platform at theupbeat.coachart.org. Hi, everybody. This is Greg with CoachArt and the host of the Upbeat Podcast. CoachArt is a nonprofit organization that does free arts and athletics lessons uh, now virtually, which we're offering in LA, the Bay Area, and San Diego, and are looking to expand to some new cities soon. And by the time we, this comes out, we might have some updates about that. Uh, we have two longtime friends of Coach Art who have kindly agreed to be interviewed today, Joel Rothman and Laura Schultz, uh, here in Los Angeles. At the age of two, their daughter, Sophia, was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis, uh, an autoimmune disease, and uveitis, a form of eye inflammation. Laura and Joel discovered that because children are such a small percentage of the population of people with arthritis, that they were actually underserved, even though children usually have the most severe form of arthritis. So they co-founded the Juvenile Arthritis Association. Today, Sophia is a thriving 13-year-old whom we are a huge fan of here at CoachArt. Uh, and like any family impacted by childhood chronic illness, their family continues to face challenges, but they've gained countless wisdom and insights along the way. So Laura and Joel, thank you so much for joining us today on The Upbeat. Thank, thank you. you. So my first question is, one of the things that, that we always uh, ask parents about and are curious is how you communicate about a diagnosis at different ages. And so Sophia was two years old. Do you remember, how do you explain to a two-year-old what's going on and why they need treatment and, and all of those types of conversations uh, to someone that young? Yeah, I, I remember this very vividly. Um, she needed a lot of treatment um, almost from the moment that she was diagnosed. And that included being hooked up to an IV for an infusion for, for five hours and eye drops that she was getting around the clock, what, every two hours was it? About every four hours. Every four hours. And the eye drops stung and she had to be held down. So we really you know, had to labor to explain to her why all of this stuff was just happening to her out of the blue because she didn't really feel sick. She didn't have any, you know, tremendous pain at the time. Um, and even though, you know, her eyes were, were sensitive, a two-year-old doesn't really realize that it's not normal. The way that we tried to explain it to her and frame it for her at that age was that there were boo-boos inside of her body that you couldn't see because they were, they were hidden in her body, but that we needed to give her this medicine to make them go away. And at least, you know, that kind of gave her a reason that she could understand even though she didn't really appreciate all the things that were being done to her, it gave her, you know, some kind of framework of why this was all happening. Mm -hmm. We knew the word arthritis, but we still tended to refer to it just as boo-boos in her body. Right, sure. And then do you remember as she aged, sort of different milestones where the level of specificity in the conversation changed and, and adapted? Yeah, I, it was a gradual process. Over time, you know, she would hear the term arthritis a lot because the first, you know, several years we were really, you know, kind of full-time engaged with her diagnosis and with treatments and with monitoring her progress. And so this was, you know, a constant, constant source of, you know, topic of discussion in our, in our house. Um, and she was hearing about it, you know, just by osmosis all the time. 
Um, it was after she got into elementary school that she began to develop a little bit different concept of it and understand that she was a little bit different from other kids, that she was going through things that were very different from what other kids were going through and that there were certain things that she couldn't always do that, that her peers could do. And I think mm -hmm. that that you know, kind of brought her to a little bit more mature understanding of, of what was going on with her. And she went through phases. I think she went through the why me phase for a little while. Actually, she's returned to that one, you know, mm -hmm. cyclical. Sure. Um, sure. And then I think going to Children's Hospital for her treatments, she would see other kids with so many different diseases and physical disabilities. And I think it gave her an appreciation for all that she could do despite her illness. So, you know, sometimes she would come out of the hospital actually feeling better about herself than she went in. Oh, wow. And when did Sophia get involved with CoChart? She, you all were already very much a part of the organization when I joined, I'm pretty sure. Our first experience with CoChart was not long after, after her diagnosis. Yeah, she was actually our first experience, and, and then there was a while before we, we kind of got involved again, but we got invited to a CoChart art event in at Barnstall Park. Barnstall Park, yeah. And we got a, a chance to really talk to the volunteers and uh, learn about the organization at that time. But there were some other families there, and it did give me an early sense of hope that, okay, there are other people who are dealing with their own challenges that are, you know, equal to, if not greater than our own. And, and there are resources out there for them. And there are even, you know, some good things like coach art, which was an opportunity that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, and so I think that, you know, was kind of an early window into some of the silver linings that can come with these dark clouds. Yeah. Interesting. What was interesting is that there were kids of different ages. You know, it was like Sophia was the little one, and then there was maybe an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. And it was kind of our first opportunity to see how kids at different ages dealt with, you know, the hand that they were, were given mm -hmm. and they were dealt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting because you talked about Sophia's perspective that she gained from the Children's Hospital, but then also it sounds like a, a similar process for yourselves as parents, seeing what other kids are dealing with, you know, sort of putting your own story in, in this greater context of, of what so many different families are dealing with and, and what it looks like. Yeah, um, when you get hit with a diagnosis like this, you know, especially for your child, you know, um, there's usually a grieving process. And there's, as, as parents, you know, where you, realize that your child's life and that your life is not going to be what you had imagined. Um, especially when, you know, when it comes so early at two years old, you kind of have all of these, you kind of have all these thoughts of what your family life is going to be like. And then suddenly it's completely upended and it just becomes something else entirely. Going to a place like Children's Hospital, you, um, you begin to get an appreciation that for, you know, the real strength and bravery that other families are going through and, and people who have challenges that are even greater than, than your own. And so many people are managing to deal with it with such strength and grace that it kind of pulls you out of your own, your own pity and, and makes you kind of try to rise to the occasion a little bit faster. Well, yeah. And that does sort of explain, I mean, I've always said how inspiring and, and, you know, you hear about it all of the time, with families who are who are going through things, but just how inspiring all the CoChart kids are, and how much I feel like our entire team and staff learns from them all of the time. 
one of the questions that I had was sort of similarly in terms of things like how you communicate, you know, about the, the diagnosis uh, with Sophia, how much do you feel like there was a community of shared parenting tips with some of these other parents that you met? Did you all feel like you had a, had a chance to kind of swap, uh, uh, you know, uh, how to deal with specific situations that, that parents who aren't dealing with that might not have any insight into? Um, we, we really did um, find, you know, that we, we, we connected with families, you know, over, over the first several years um, of her diagnosis. And that was an invaluable resource to be able to talk with other people who have, you know, been down this road before you and are a little further down that road. And being mentored by some of those people, you know, was, was just an invaluable, invaluable resource. And that's why, you know, the, uh, the, what we saw as the low-hanging fruit for our own organization for Juvenile Arthritis Association was to create a program called Family Room. And it meets every other month and it's structured as a support and education group for families. And we get, you know, a lot, I would say a disproportionate number of the families that we get are relatively new diagnoses. Mm-hmm. And it's to kind of give them the support that we really, you know, valued so much and wished we even had more of at times to give them, you know, educational tools from experts and then also the camaraderie that comes from other families that are going through this as well. And bringing CoachArt into this program um, and having CoachArt be a part of it, you know, every other month has been has been absolutely fantastic to add that piece that, that only you guys can deliver. And how old was Sophia? When, when did you all form JAA? It was late 2012. She was five years old at the time. And so, uh, one, you know, another one of those topics that every parent deals with, but, but just has a different context for a parent of a child with a chronic illness is, is that balance between being permissive and protective of, of your child. How did you all navigate that balance throughout, throughout Sophia's youth? We're, we're still navigating it. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's always a tough one. And, and so, many of the, so, so much of the time, it's a gray area and it's a judgment call. We were always clear, you know, Laura and I, I think we're always on the same page that we wanted, we never wanted Sophia to feel like a victim. We never wanted her to hide behind her disease as an excuse for not living her life to the fullest extent that she could. And I would say that much of the time, our natural inclination has been to push her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there are certainly families with children with this, you know, the same or similar diagnoses uh, who choose to homeschool or to, you know, sort of shelter their children more. And that's just a personal choice. Um, our feeling was that if she's going to be on all of these somewhat scary medications, um, we're doing it for a reason. And that's to give her as rich and full a life as possible. So we chose to put her in public school and we've chosen to really encourage her to to participate in most things that other kids her age would participate in and not to to hold her back or restrict her as much as possible so mm-hmm. just to add to that um we're fortunate that 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 we've always been able to have her in public school there are we've met you know plenty of families where as much as they might want their child to be in public school, their diagnosis just uh, has become so severe. Or sometimes, you know, it's it's a roller coaster, and sometimes that they're in such a trough that it's just not even feasible. So we've we've been very fortunate that uh, that we've been able to keep her in in school the whole time. 
Yeah. But, and we and we also have always been prepared that if if need be, we we would pull her out. And yeah. in fact, in this current situation, we pulled her out a little bit before they shut the schools before down. the schools closed because yeah. we were concerned about her being high risk. Sure. Um, and then sometimes we we make mistakes. We we were um, on a trip um, a couple of years ago, and and there was a freshwater pond that lots of kids were swimming and playing with, and they'd constructed a rope swing tied to a tree where you could swing on a rope and and drop down into this into this you know large pond, and we and we waded in with Sophia, and she ended up getting um, what we think was a bacterial infection that that basically got her sick for the entire rest of our vacation. Oh, yikes. Um, and, and I think that it was because we were a little too lax. And, and by we, I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> There's often a, a little bit of a tug of war between us. I think I tend to be the somewhat more conservative, protective one of the, the two of us. And Joel's tends to be a little bit more lax. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And so then just out of that, the sort of synthesis of those two views comes the, the kind of compromise path that you yeah. walk between those. In terms of uh, Sophia going to, to school and being you know, in, in that community of kids, how does she communicate about her diagnosis to her friends or, or the overall class at large? And, and has that changed? Uh, have you seen that evolve over, over the years or has it been a sort of consistent uh, style? It's definitely evolved. When she was younger, she really did not want to be singled out. She, uh, for a while, had been pulled out for adapted PE and physical therapy, and then she protested that at some point in the, in the middle of elementary school and really just wanted to do those things when no one else could see. Mm -hmm. um, she didn't like to talk uh, you know, about her disease. She, had, she once, when she was quite young, tried to tell another child, I have arthritis. And the child said, yes, I'm, I'm very artistic too. Oh, wow. <laughs> realized this is just going to go right over their heads. So she right. kind of stopped trying. And then actually recently, just this year, um, she began to make an effort to, to let kids know what she's going through. In her English class at the beginning of this year, she had to write a personal narrative essay about something that had happened to her. And the example that the teacher gave was breaking a leg. And she said, okay, I've got something kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And she wrote about being diagnosed with juvenile arthritis. At the time, she did not know that the teacher was going to have the kids share that story with one another. And she was very nervous when that time came but it turned out to be a really wonderful cathartic experience for her because the kids read about her experiences being bullied in PE and being called out as different in class when she maybe couldn't write handwrite things and needed to use an iPad. And they all really supported her. She had kids come up to her and say, I had no idea. I think I may have been one of those kids who teased you behind your back in PE when you couldn't run the mile. And I'm so sorry. Wow. So really wonderful. I wonder if she would have chosen that as a topic if she had known that, that she had to share it or if it ended up sort of nudging her in that direction of, of being more open about it. I think more the latter. Yeah, I suspect she wouldn't have chosen the topic if she knew she had to be public about it. But it has been a really wonderful thing. Wow, that's great. The thing about um, rheumatic diseases is that they're often invisible that these are diseases where sometimes there are outward signs during a flare-up. A lot of the time, you know, you could look at a person who has these diseases 
and outwardly they seemed completely healthy and you wouldn't know, you know, what goes on behind the scenes to make them seem that way. But, um, but the flip side of it is that, you know, you might be feeling really terrible, um, but unless someone is, knows you well or is very observant or you choose to share it with, with someone else, um, they might not see it. And I think that that's, you know, been kind of a double-sided coin for Sophia where she's been able to kind of, you know, not have to, to be so open about her disease in, in school, but it also has led to, to less understanding amongst her peers when she has had trouble in PE or she needs, you know, accommodations like, you know, typing on an iPad in class while all the other kids are handwriting. And I think that's one thing, again, with CoachArt serving such a range of chronic illnesses that is eye-opening to volunteers when they first show up, is I think they expect for a larger percentage of the kids' diagnoses to be very visible. And it's amazing how many really severe diagnoses and, and accommodations that need to, to be made are not visible and that they'll say, I, I just didn't, you know, looking all around, it looked different than what I expected the, a group of kids impacted by chronic illness uh, was gonna look like and that that's an interesting sort of eye-opening experience for volunteers who come out for the first time. Yeah. Digging in a little bit more about, you know, juvenile arthritis and your decision to co-found the, the Juvenile Arthritis Association. Can you talk a little bit about what made you make that initial decision and what has led you to, to the point that you are today? Sure. Um, I mean, we just felt that this is such a tiny, tiny sliver of the overall arthritis community. I think there are 50 million adults with arthritis and I don't have all of the facts and figures in front of me, but I believe it's it's in this low single digit millions who have the rheumatic form. The others oh, wow. have osteoarthritis, and which is degenerative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then children are about 300,000. So they're less than one half of 1% of the entire arthritis population. So when you're really dealing with arthritis as a cause, children tend to slip through the cracks. They're all, it's also a medically distinct disease. Some of the treatments are similar and, and overlap with other forms of arthritis, but often it's, it's unique. And dealing with you know, some of the other issues that come with being a, a child or being a family with a child um, are unique from the other forms. And so we really wanted to kind of put a spotlight on this and create resources and create funding that was specifically geared towards only children with rheumatic diseases. Children are treated by pediatric rheumatologists whose training is somewhat different from adult rheumatologists. Contrary to what a lot of people would think, children often need more you know, in, in intense drug treatments, um, higher dosages. Uh, you, would, you would think that it would be milder, but it's, it's not, it's actually, uh, it tends to be a pretty severe illness in children. And, and, and there are not enough doctors to treat the number of kids that have these rheumatic diseases. So, you know, there, there, there needs to be funding for training of doctors and for, you know, hiring of, of new doctors at the clinics that don't have them. There are a number of states in, in across the country that don't have a single pediatric rheumatologist in the entire state. Mm-hmm. So that was some of what we wanted to oh. address. Now we're very small. (laughs) So, you know, this is stuff that we want to address. But when we first started, we realized that that was not achievable with the kind of funding that we were, you know, generating the kind of of donations that we were getting. And that is why we started with community and education. Um, And then lastly, so we're 
talking right now during the era of social distancing and coronavirus pandemic as a, a family dealing with, with childhood chronic illness. Have you had been dealing with anything specific right now, have been working through or thinking through or have tips for, for other parents about? We've been extra careful to really follow all of the precautions. We're very, you know, careful about not leaving the house except when absolutely necessary um, or if doing, if taking a walk around the neighborhood, doing that in a safe way, um, not, you know, interacting with other people just because, you know, I mean, we would be doing this anyway, probably, but with Sophia's immunosuppression and the medication that she's on makes her especially vulnerable to, to pulmonary illnesses. So we're, we're taking no chances, yeah. um, but she still has to go into the hospital one to two times a month for doctor's visits and for infusions. So, um, and, and that's, you know, one of the, one of the scariest places to go these days. Sure. I think that Children's Hospital really does have things under control. For one thing, it is not a place that, because children are not, tend not to be affected as, as badly as adults, their ER is not seeing cases coming in the way that other ERs are. And they really are, they're testing, taking temperature um, on your way in, and everyone's wearing masks, and it's, I felt safe going I, there. I think like all parents, it's been a challenge, you know, adjusting to remote learning, even more so for, for Laura than for me, because she's been dealing with it more. But we've, you know, been trying to kind of build in things like doing exercise in our backyard and, you know, as a family and, um, and getting Sophia connected with her friends and, and being able to play online games together with them through the, through the computer. Um, and so she's, we've been able to, you know, create some fun for her in, during, during all of this, even though she, I know is missing her friends and I know is missing the, even going to school. Absolutely. And, and that's really reassuring to hear about the, the children's hospital um, and that uh, you all are, are finding ways to, you know, like, like we talked about, um, you know, the idea of that new normal and, and finding ways to, to adjust to that. And so for folks who want to find out more about the Juvenile Arthritis Association, uh, either who are directly affected or, or just interested in getting involved, what are the best ways for them to find out more? Sure. Well, we have a website, juvenilearthritis.org. It is in the midst of a, of a massive overhaul, which we're hoping will, be, will go live later this year. That's exciting. Yeah. And, um, and we communicate with our, with our followers probably most through Facebook, which is facebook.com slash juvenilearthritis. And that's you know, often where we will announce family room sessions and, and field questions and that kind of thing. That's great. Uh, well, Joel and Laura, thank you all again so much. Um, it's uh, been a pleasure to, to chat with you about this. And, and just um, anytime we chat with parents who we know through CoChart, it's always interesting to be able to have these conversations and, and dig in a little bit to just the ways that you have approached this, all of the social and emotional elements uh, of, of parenting, Sophia, and, and parenting a, a child impacted by chronic illness that other parents uh, could learn from and, and uh, share have shared experiences with. Thank you for having thank us you. and thank you for everything that you guys are doing at CoChart. It, is, it has been a wonderful thing in, in Sophia's life and in our lives. Absolutely. You can find more content like this at theupbeat.cochart.org where we have blog posts, podcasts, and YouTube clips, as well as a Facebook group that you can join and share your own helpful advice with other families who are dealing with social and emotional questions about kids going through chronic illness. So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much. Thanks.